right, guys. Uh, trying this new mic thing out, so if it doesn't work, I may have to transition. But I hope you guys have already seen this morning that uh, Matthew's Table Church, many of you have been here before, but I know some of you haven't, is uh, we want to do everything with excellence, but really we don't want to view our gathering together as a performance. We, we want to worship God. We want to realize that he is with us and that God has not instituted his people to be a business, but to be a family. And so we, our hope is that we would form a community, not of religious consumers, who, who show up, whether it be in, the, in one another's lives as friends or to gatherings or to all the other ways that our church lives together, sort of saying, hey, what can you do for me? We don't, we, because that's not how we want to be friends with each other in everyday life. We want to say, how can we show up to love one another, to know one another? And so we're, we're starting a series in the Gospel of Luke. We're not going through the whole book, but we're going to go through what, how Jesus had meals with people. And we're going to continue talking about this theme of what it means to exercise kingdom hospitality. And we have a lot of misconceptions about that. And we have many people in here from many different walks of life and many different seasons of life. And it may even be that some of us think, oh, hospitality, that's what people do when they have their own house or they, they have this going on in their life. And we want to see that, that really Jesus just sort of breaks all these containers that we have, particularly in the South, of what it means to be hospitable to people. And we want to see that this is good news that Jesus is inviting us into a life full of risky, costly, yet beautiful and fulfilling love. So as we go through uh, these this next month or or two, we're going to be in the Gospel of Luke, and this morning we're just going to start in Luke chapter 7, verses 24 through 35, kind of setting the stage for this. So if you have a Bible, you can open it, or you can read along on the screen. I usually have Luke up there, but Scripture... Supposed to say Luke 7, 24 to 35. If you need to know that, or if you have an app, feel you can read along with there as well. So Luke chapter 7, verse 24. When John's messengers had gone, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who are dressed in splendid clothing and lived in luxury are in king's courts. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. When all the people heard this, and the tax collectors too, they declared God just, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. To what then shall I compare the people of this generation, and what are they like? They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another, We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not weep. For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say, he has a demon. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, 
And you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by all her children. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have welcomed us into your space. We thank you, God, that though you were perfectly uh, fulfilled, content, satisfied, and whole without us, in your eternal perfection, you wanted us. You created us. You redeemed us. And we pray today that we would just learn a little more of how you want to do through us what you've already done in us and even to us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, am I echoing really bad? Sound like I'm in a bucket a little bit? All right. I'm going to take this off because if it don't bother you. This week we watched, that's a little better. This week we watched a documentary called Won't You Be My Neighbor about Mr. Rogers. Now some of you men here may not know who Mr. Rogers is because of your age, but many of us do. And when I grew up, Mr. Rogers was like one of the, the, the best things, although honestly I thought it was a little boring when I was growing up. But it was one of the like the most available, at least, accessible things for kids to watch on television. PBS, public broadcasting. And what Mr. Rogers set out to do, and if you watch this documentary, I usually don't recommend things. It may have some things in it you don't like, but I can kind of recommend this one is it is just a beautiful picture of the vision that he had behind this television show. Basically, he realized that our, our country specifically was full of children who had very little space in their life where they could just be welcomed for who they were and be loved in spite of whatever difficulties, deficiencies that they had. And so this was the premise behind this whole show, is that this is why he would walk into the house, he would take his coat off, he would put his sweater on, he would take his sort of nice shoes off, like his work shoes, and put on his little sort of, uh, I don't know what you would call them, kind of look like Donovan's shoes up here, like the kind of kettish, you know, comfortable hangout shoes. And he was, he was, in all of these things, he was communicating, you're welcome here. You can be yourself here, not at work anymore, not at school anymore. This is a safe place for you. And at one point as he tells this story, he begins to talk about, and others in his life, about how this really was just a reflection of the own insecurities that he had in his own life. And one of his characters, Daniel, this, this tiger, and I may end up trying to do the voice I was not going to, in one of the scenes, and uh, Cassie posted something about this this week. He, he looks at this lady, I can't even remember their names, Lady Amberlin, and says, you know, sometimes I think I was a mistake. All right, I did it. I couldn't resist. And, and, she, and she just, in response, is just, uh, is that pretty good? All right, thank you, Drew. So, and, and she just assures him, like, no, you're, you're not a mistake. I, I love who you are. And I love who you're becoming. And, and I want to be with you. And you know, we say around here a lot, that the, there's good news that God doesn't just love us, but that he likes us. Because for many of us, we think love is like something people in our lives are obligated to do because of their familial relationship with us. 
But as we watched that, I was just thinking, this is a picture really of what we're talking about when we're talking about biblical hospitality. I want to say this several times this morning. Is all we're really talking about is creating a space for other people in our lives. For people in our lives, for people in our neighborhoods, for people in our dorm rooms, for people on our streets, for people in our workplaces, for people in our families who are walking around maybe thinking, you know what, some days I feel like maybe I was just a mistake. People who feel like that they're really always on the outside. No matter how friendly and happy they may look, they feel like something's wrong with me or I've done something that has put me on the other side of this line where all of the people who are really in are at. And for some people, this is not just about childhood, obviously, but it exists deep into adulthood. And the sad reality is, is that some people live all of their lives, all the way from womb to tomb, feeling like, I'm just not welcome. Feeling like, I'm only welcome to the extent that people don't really know me. Because if somebody really knew me, they would reject me. As we think about it, what it lives, means to live in this broken world, there's this feeling and fear of being a stranger in a new place. For some of us, it's moving into a neighborhood. For some, it's becoming a part of a new church. For some of you, I'm sure it's being in a new school. And you're just thinking, man, what, what do I have to put on so that I can be welcome? In the religious South, one of the most dangerous and deadly things why so many churches are dying and decaying, it has little to do with how polished their Sunday show is, but it has most to do with the fact is that the seats at the tables of their lives and in the tables of their homes are all full. I've had my friends since I was a little kid. The table's full, I'm content, and I'm happy. And so as new people come into their lives or into this city, there's just no real place for them beyond scheduled activities and doing church. It's like we're all in Forrest Gump and we're trying to find somewhere to sit and can't sit here, seat's taken. All right, that was a fail. Go back, to, go back to Daniel. Thank you. But it really, that's, this is what it can feel like. And so we, we often think out loud here at the beginning, but let's, let's do that. When have you ever felt like that you were unsafe being yourself to be welcomed? If that feels too intimate for you. Maybe where there's just a time that you moved somewhere or went into a different workplace, job, or church, how, or maybe just the time you were overlooked. How did that make you feel, and how did that affect you?
Thank you, Gina. Y'all couldn't hear transitioning from a church been a part of your whole life and joining us in this launch of a church plant. And it, it's a lot of can feel a lot of inner, inward pressure. Lauren. hear Lauren moving a lot as a kid you kind of figure out what mask you need to wear to get to fit in for as long as you need to she said it better than that but anyone else You didn't hear Val in, in a youth group culture growing up, you know, feeling like it's not really so much about how spiritual or close I'm walking with Jesus, it's how much fun I can be. And in all these ways, what we're all trying to figure out to do is how do we get welcome to the table? How do, how do we be who we need to be so that we are there? And then the story of God, the response of his kingdom is really what's called hospitality. Hospitality not, is not a southern tea party, you know, where you invite your, your most socially connected friends. It's not an epic baby shower. And there's nothing wrong with these things, by the way. But really, in the Bible, hospitality is simply what we talk about as a church. It's where we open our lives and we open ourselves to make the real Jesus known to the broken, the burnout, and the bored. To those who are on the outside, to those who are overlooked, and this doesn't mean that, that, that necessarily they look the part. This can be people from a very rebellious background. This can also be people from a very religious background, and everywhere in between. But we see this call in Scripture, in the very heart of how Jesus is identified, to this call to open our hearts and our homes to kingdom hospitality. So how do we get there? We're going, to, we're going to ask a few questions this morning. The first one is, we have to ask ourselves, are we trying to have the kingdom without a table? Are we trying to have the kingdom without a table? Because this is what we see the Pharisees were doing. These religious leaders, the chiefs, the Pharisees, the scribes, the lawyers. First thing we need to see and understand in the context of this is these Pharisees, these religious leaders, they wanted the kingdom of God. Sometimes we can, we can think about these religious leaders and we just cast them as in this completely negative view. But these guys actually were complex, complicated people just like we are. It wasn't as if they were saying, I don't care about God, I just want to build my own kingdom. Now we see this is, the way that they do that is subtle. It's not intentional. These were the people who loved God's holiness. These were the people who said, we love God more than anybody. That's why Jesus is really making us nervous. Jesus is messing up. We're trying to see God's kingdom set up 
under this empire of Rome. And the only way that we can do this and protect this is that we set these extra laws and extra boundaries to God's word that really distinguish us from other people. So sure, some of them didn't mean well, but at the heart of the Pharisee, Pharisaic mission was at least on paper a heart for the kingdom of God. The only problem is, is they wanted a kingdom that was under their control. They wanted a kingdom that did not interrupt their comfort, which meant the mess of welcoming the outsider had to be regulated. And it had to be regulated beyond the word of God. And any other voices that messed up with how they had set up their path to the kingdom had to be silenced or butted to death. And what I mean by that is, yeah, but. Not just, yeah, yeah, but, Jesus. Yeah, but, Jesus. And so they devised their own means for accomplishing God's mission, which meant that God's kingdom was without a table. So, they didn't like John. This is verses 24 through 28. John is a wild man. We call him John the Baptist. If you're not Baptist, John the Baptizer. He's a wild man. He's out here dressed weird, eating weird. Nobody's giving this guy an affirmation. He didn't go to any college or university. He's just called by God to go preach the gospel. And he doesn't care if you've got a Ph.D. in Old Testament law or what. He's saying, repent, you brood of vipers. <laughs> well, they didn't like that. They didn't like that at all. That's what Jesus is saying in verses 24 through 28. I mean, what did you go out to see? What were you expecting? This is a prophet. Prophets of God aren't on the payroll of the religious establishment. Prophets of God, true prophets, aren't here to serve anybody's agenda or kingdom. Well, they didn't like that. They wanted a religion that they could control. In verses 29 and 28, we also see, though, that they didn't like God's grace. Just when all the people heard this, and the tax collectors too, if you don't know the tax collectors, these are these sort of white-collar criminals who are in collusion with Rome. They're, they're basically Jewish people who said, hey, we're going to make some money off Rome's rule of Israel, even to the disadvantage of our own kinsmen. They declared God just. Why? Because they had been baptized with the baptism of John. So they're wondering, like, is this true that even sinners like us can be forgiven? Even sinners like us who repent of our sins can be welcomed into the kingdom of God? So when Jesus is saying, yes, John, John was a man of God, regardless of what this religious establishment says, he was a man of God, well, they're excited. They praise God. Verse 30, though, but the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. They did not like this message of grace that leveled everyone out. 
in view of their need of God's work. They didn't like a gospel where the unjust were declared just simply through faith alone. They wanted a kingdom in their own image for their own glory and for their own comfort because grace makes everything super uncomfortable. And if you have a doctrine or a vision of grace that isn't messy and uncomfortable and scandalous, then you don't understand grace yet. And I'm seeing in my life many ways where I don't understand grace. And so nothing satisfied them apart from their own system of self-redemption. So this is what Jesus is saying, that the religious leaders are like children in a marketplace calling to one another. We played the flute for you and you didn't dance. We sang a dirge and you did not weep. It's like nothing satisfies these guys because if it's not their idea first, then it doesn't count. If they can't control it, then they don't want to hear it. If it doesn't lead to their comfort and their own glory, then they don't want any part of it. Sadly, as I was thinking about this, I, was, I, was, I thought of my marriage at times. I love my wife. Oh, I love her so much. Disclaimers. She's wonderful. I love the times that we laugh together, that we work together. I love the times when we cry together, when we have experienced such joy with our children. But you know, there's a lot of other hard parts. And sometimes I just wish to get rid of those. Can I just have this part of you? Can I have the, the part that makes life easier for me? Can I just have the part that makes me feel loved? Can I just have the part that makes me feel affirmed? Can I just have the part that makes me feel happy? Because I don't know that I really want that part where I have to sacrifice and listen and be patient and not do it my way. That's exactly how we can treat our king and his kingdom. We can be like these Pharisees, like, yes, I'm all about the kingdom of God. I'm all about Jesus. But I want to have Jesus, and I still want to be able to keep control of my life. I still want to be able to be the one, really, that's getting my order my way. I want the king. I want the kingdom. I want to see Jesus made known for who he really is in this city. In my heart, in my home, in my life, in my school. But if that starts to cause me too much discomfort, I may have to check out. We can be like these Pharisees when we get in the middle of this life. I mean, as a church, we're calling ourselves to live a life together. And it's hard sometimes, and it's messy. And it pushes all your buttons of the idols of control that you have and the idols of comfort that you have. To dance the Super Bowl, and I remember one, one time, so we were part of a church like this, and we're having a Super Bowl party at somebody's house, and, you know, all these things sound good to do, you know, and, and, and you get in the middle of them, there's like 50 kids running around, you know, going crazy. And then all of a sudden, there's this massive hole in the sheetrock. 
in a bedroom. And this person's already taken this big step of faith to open up their home. We'd really been encouraging them. And then here it is. And it's really at that point where when we're talking about life together, it starts to get real. How do we handle the hole in the sheetrock in the bedroom? Do we say, that's it. Knew this was a bad idea. Nobody's coming to my house no more. I can't handle it. Too loud, it's too noisy, now we got holes in the wall. Comfort. We, we're going to talk about here in just a second about this, this hospitality, what it looks like a little bit. Guess what? You start having people into your house, into your life, or taking them out, you know what it's going to do? It's, it's going to cost you some money. Money you could spend on yourself. If you really love the outsider and the stranger, guess what? There's going to be different smells coming around. And you're going to have to ask yourself, have I bought into this American lie that my house is my castle and my refuge? Where I go and nobody else is allowed because it's this is me I go do what I gotta do I do my life thing I do my church thing check off you know in many many church cultures that's why we give so ain't nobody gotta invade my space Jesus comes eating and drinking though and he comes and he drops this gospel bomb into all of our rampant individualism consumerism and pragmatism when it comes to being disciples so we see here Jesus comes eating and drinking go to the next slide there Chris we see this the son of man has come eating and drinking and you say look at him a glutton and a drunkard a friend of tax collectors and sinners so if I was to have asked each of you before you came this morning like we, we could have did this put a little paper under each seat or on each seat and said fill in the blank Jesus came and you put the next line so this is how Jesus, right, describing himself, he's thought of. How would you answer that question? Jesus came. I bet for many of us we would say, he came preaching. I bet many of us would say, he came teaching. I bet many of us would say, he came fill in the blank. But if we read the Gospels, it says Jesus came eating and drinking. Now he did preach. He did teach. He did heal. He did deliver. We believe in the whole Jesus. God's word says Jesus came eating and drinking. We're going to see just eight or nine meals in the gospel of Luke alone as we read through this. If we go to the book of Revelation, we see Jesus, as we started our, our year, at the door of the church knocking. And so what is he wanting to do? He's not saying, come in so I can give you another Bible study. And we believe in, we love God's word. He's saying, come in so I can dine with you. At the end of the book of Revelation, how is this whole thing going to wrap up? It's going to be one great marriage supper of the Lamb. Jesus likes to eat and drink and hang out with people. He's a friend of tax collectors and sinners. They use that as a slur. And Jesus wore it as a badge of honor. 
What Jesus is doing is nothing more than exercising biblical kingdom hospitality. See, everybody eats and drinks, right? To say somebody eats and drinks, you're not going to be like, oh, wow, that's nice. Hey, look at that person. They have two ears. You know, look at that person. They have a nose. It's kind of like that if we took it. Jesus eats and drinks. Wow. Now, this is, this is saying something more because of who Jesus was eating and drinking with. You see, again, hospitality is not making space just for your best Christian friends. Hospitality is making space for the outsider. It's making space for the stranger. The stranger doesn't mean like, you know, you've got to find a strange person. Stranger, it's making space for someone who is not yet a part of the people of God. It's making space for someone who has no space. As we step into the story of God, we see this. One person says hospitality is making space for people to be with us and to become within community, to be who they are and to become more in Christ. Hospitality means making space for strangers. I'm just going to take this from some of the, the, the Soma family churches that we're connected with real quick to show you this, this story of God. So in creation, let's think out loud. How do we see hospitality in creation? How do we see God exercising hospitality? Yeah, so God provided the Garden of Eden, right? This, this is pretty, we want this to be kind of obvious. We don't want you to walk away saying, how did they get that out of that? No, God created an environment for humans to be provided and protected for. He created this space where they could be welcomed, where they could rest, and where they could grow, and where they could flourish. But through sin entering the world and the fall, God's hospitality was rejected. People wanted to be at the heart of the sin of humanity is people wanted to be independent. People wanted to do it themselves for their own glory and in their own way. They are just like, it's in the heart of these Pharisees here. They wanted control and they wanted comfort and they wanted to be on the throne. And yet as God calls his people Israel, he calls them to display his glory in the world, to show his character amongst the nations. But first, before they did that, they had to understand what it meant to be an outsider. And so they spent some 400 years in Egypt, where they were not provided for, where they were not protected. And so as the law of God is given to Israel, he, re he tells them to remember. Remember how that was for you. Remember what it's like to be on the outside. Remember what it's like to just to be looked at someone to be used. Remember what it's like to just look at, to be looked at as someone just to be consumed as what they could do for you and how they can only aid your control and your comfort. And then he gives them commands like this in Leviticus 19. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap right up to its edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. And you shall not strip your vineyard bare. Neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. Sojourner, that is the traveler, the outsider going through the land. He says, why? I am the Lord your God. And then later in Leviticus 19, 33-34, When a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you. You shall love him as yourself. And why? 
for you are strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. What is he saying? Hosp this, this kingdom hospitality where you, you actually are setting aside in our modern day equivalent your finances, right? Don't, don't glean everything from the field. Leave a margin there for people who are passing through who need it. And your comfort. He says, do this because that's how I've done you. This is how I've loved you. To create space for people to flourish. Recently, we, I think, got a glimpse of, of the beauty of this. Many of you know we've uh, been loving and living in this neighborhood for a long time now, about three years. And uh, just so many beautiful people that we want to see are loved by God, not as a project, not as a, a, a church initiative, just as people that God loves and our neighbors that we want to love. And so this year at our Christmas party at our house, it was just amazing to look around the room and see that we had more neighbors there that aren't connected really even in the life of our church on Sundays than we had people actually that are connected to the life of our church on Sundays. To see an older Muslim man sitting in the room. To see some people who didn't speak English sitting in the room. <laughs> to see senior adults sitting in the room with kids sitting in the room. Everyone just laughing eating and it, if you would have walked in you would have thought this doesn't make any sense what what brings these people together introverts extroverts seniors kids african-american hispanic english spanish and for us the only answer is it's the kingdom of christ space created so that people can actually know what it means to encounter Jesus. This is the heart of what we mean. Yet in our hearts, oftentimes, we start to think, well, that kind of sounds unwise. Unwise to open your heart to people. They'll hurt you. People take advantage of you. I mean, especially people you don't know really well. I mean, just think of how Israel heard this. Hey, there's going to be strangers passing through your land. You may have fought battles against them at certain times. But actually, as a part of my law, I want you to care for them. I want you to make sure they have something to eat, and I want you to make sure they have somewhere to stay. And so Jesus says here, wisdom is justified by all her children. No doubt there's some of us in here, if we were honest, and I, I'll be the first to admit, we would prefer a compartmentalized life where we could come to a church service on a Sunday, check it on our list, guilt assuaged for the week. College students, I can tell my mom or dad back home, yeah, I went to church Sunday morning. We like that. 
Some of us have been hurt very deeply by letting others be close to us in our life. Some of you may have been bent towards a hospitable heart and you got burned. And some of us may just want to tack on Jesus. So this is why we all need the gospel as much as those Pharisees did. This is the only thing that's going to be able to power and keep us going in a persevering open hearts and open homes is to remember is that Jesus sees us hiding just like Adam and Eve were hiding in our homes, in our hearts. He sees us clean for our control. He sees us setting up these systems in our lives to keep our comfort and keep our kingdom. And yet when he sees us, he knows that though we were aliens and strangers ourselves, as Ephesians 2, he comes to all of us eating and drinking. And that should just blow our minds. He doesn't come to you with a lightning bolt of judgment. And he, first of all, doesn't even come to you with a lecture of getting your life together. He, he comes and he says, I got a chair for you right here at the table. He knows how messy we are. And I can't speak for you, but I am messy. I, I, I'm, I, I would not make his life more comfortable. None of us do. But not only did we come to him at the expense of comfort, but at great cost. If we want to see the ultimate picture of hospitality, of kingdom hospitality, then we look to the cross and we see Jesus hanging there saying, I'll give up my control of this situation for you. I'll actually let these people nail me to this tree so that I can bear God's judgment in your place. I'll give up my comfort for you before you have it all together. I won't say, take a shower first, get cleaned up, learn some manners, get your kids under control, and then we'll talk. No, he says, you, right where you are, right in the mess you're in, I'm coming for you. And calls us to the table. The only way we'll be able to extend our tables to others is to the extent that we first realize how he has extended his table to us. The only way we'll be able to do this is to realize that he didn't stay dead, but he rose from the grave. And he gives us the spirit now, the spirit of his new creation, the spirit of, of, that is in our hearts crying out, Abba, Father, and empowering us to take the good news of the gospel of the kingdom to every man, woman, and child in our city. But to do this, not primarily with a PowerPoint presentation or a degree, but just an open heart and an open home. To create space for people. What does this look like for you? To create space for people just to be themselves. Whether that's in your dorm room, whether that's in your hangout space, in your home, in your break room. 
say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to create a space for people where they can just come be themselves. Do you know what a blessing that would be? If all of us just said or teamed up together, my living room or wherever, my dorm room, this is a space where you can come and you can just be yourself. You greet people with love. They can rest. They don't got to explain themselves. You're not going to give them some sort of hoop they got to jump through. Hey, you're welcome here. But then also a place though where they can become and grow. Where you'll hear, you'll hear, hear their stories. And then you'll share with them your story. And if you're a follower of Jesus, then your story is going to be this good news of a king who met you at a table. And you'll teach them to do the same. So I don't want to play the Holy Spirit by giving you what that might look like specifically. But it could look like your house is the Saturday morning pancake house for your neighborhood. It could look like you and a friend team up and you say, hey, we're going to host a music night in our dorm room. Or we're going to go over here and ask this coffee shop, hey, could we do this trivia night or whatever? It's just going to be a place where people can come and we're just going to intentionally love them and engage them. And this is really what Matthew's Table Church is all about. That's why we exist. It's just basically our mission. We just want to intentionally open our lives, our hearts, and our homes to people so that they might know the real Jesus who doesn't view them just as a project, but as someone who is loved, redeemed, and can have hope. So, Father, we ask you today as we come to your table that we would feel and receive your welcome so that we might extend it to others. In Jesus' name, amen.